0: Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your also Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls and everybody. ever by Noel
1: Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? I'm back into Tacoma, but I'm sick. No! Yeah. I either caught something on the plane or caught something after interacting with a 10-month-old for a week, mm-hmm. or just the drastic changes in barometric pressure and temperature. But I mean, this is a cold, so it's germs. Yeah. Um, but my immune system was compromised, Kate. So it's all in my chest now and kind of in my nose. And so I'm drinking um, honey, vanilla, chamomile while I'm talking to you while I sound like Albert Finney has had a little bit of helium.
0: <laughs> that's a that's an excellent description. I'm very much enjoying it. Thank um, you. Yeah. Um. I hope you feel better soon. Thank you. Yeah. How are you? I'm tired. You had
1: the crazy eyes earlier. Oh
0: yeah, I did. I do have the. It's just like just some last minute parent and student issues. We have a recital tomorrow. Um. And so that is just, they're just, I'm not going to talk about it because that's not professional. So I would say that's fair. support your teachers and notice is a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Yeah. And let's talk about TV a little bit here. Um, yeah. Let's cheer ourselves up. Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Superstore are both renewed this week, which is fabulous. I wasn't necessarily anticipating hearing about Superstore or Nine-Nine this this quickly.
1: Yeah, I, I, in particular, Brooklyn Nine-Nine was something of a question mark for me. I felt kind of confident about Superstore, just because NBC seems really keen on that show. But Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I figured, was going to kind of be a one-and-done sort yeah. of issue of, like, we saved it, thank us by watching it, and now we're done. Mm-hmm. But no, we're going to get another season of it, and I am very, very happy about that. Yeah, me too. Especially considering that this season has been just so strong.
0: It has, though I was not hot on part of this week's episode. And we'll talk about that in our week in TV. I look forward yeah. to your thoughts. Um, but we also did hear the start to the end of an era. The yes. first of the CW superhero shows is being, uh, not canceled, but is ending. After, mm-hmm. uh, so Arrow will be coming to an end with a final, a final season of 10 episodes that I have a feeling will wrap up right around our big crossover. How about that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it it's funny how that timing worked out, isn't it? Yeah. Since the crossovers are normally around episodes eight or nine, typically, and they're only doing a ten episode final season. Yeah. Seems kinda of funny. Um no, uh this this seemed a little expected to me, um, just given the fact that Amel was probably done. Because this well, contract was probably only for seven.
0: You you also um, literally predicted this when we were talking about the, the crossover. You, you specifically predicted this would happen. So, yes. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, about two weeks ago, there were a lot of rumors circulating about the Arrowverse in general, um, particularly next year as a result of, in part because of the crossover and what it could mean, but also because of movies that are in development as well. That there are rumors circulating around that like Legends of tomorrow is probably not going to get past next season, which is not a surprise. just you don't need tea leaves to know that that show's not doing well ratings wise, and it's probably kind of expensive, even though it's very, very good. Um, but the other bigger news is the fact that rumors were going around that they were think that they've been mulling rebranding Supergirl as Superman um, in light of the uh, um, impending Supergirl movie. And um, that and then that basically the Flash would be the only of the original um, Arrowverse shows still standing come next season, which seems weird when you consider the fact that there's also a Flash movie coming out. But Ezra Miller has also said that they address the fact that there are other Flashes in his movie which i guess is good enough for dc to go. Well, audiences won't get confused by that, but they might get confused by two different supergirls. So they have meh.
0: they have literally yeah. established within their worlds that there are like endless other alternate realities. Why is this confusing to them?
1: I don't know. Um I think it's mainly just like brand control. Like you, you you're still watching arrow, so they weren't allowed to use Suicide Squad mm-hmm. in their Suicide Squad themed episode. They had to use Ghost Squadron or something yeah, like that? Ghost Protocol or
0: something like that, yeah. Ghost,
1: yeah, and so that is also like one of the reason why they couldn't do it is because of the Suicide Squad film franchise. And so Warner Brothers keeps a really tight leash on these folks. So that's why these rumors were circulating. Um, Arrow's cancellation wasn't really mentioned in those things, but it seems so likely Mm-hmm. so yeah yeah Yeah.
0: that's just like there are reasons to end a show i mean it's been going for quite a while but like people might be confused because hey. there's a movie and also a tv show is the stupid reason that's a, that's yeah, not a good it's reason
1: a, it's a deeply stupid reason but it's one that warner brothers has really latched onto for whatever reason um and i don't see um ATT t changing them any at all since 18T is sort of like taking a little bit of a hands-off mm-hmm. approach with Warner Brothers the movie studio whereas they're like just getting all up into the business of the television stuff cuz apparently they think they know how to run television.
0: Yeah. I mean don't get me yeah. wrong, I will watch the crap out of a Superman show with you know this the Superman and Lois that they've established.
1: Right, which is one reason they think that they established it when they did.
0: Yeah, but that would be a spin-off show that is not Supergirl. So yeah. like, that's, I will be pissed if they take away Supergirl to give it to a man. <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. Wow.
1: Yeah. That, that, I figured that was going to be your response.
0: <laughs> yeah. It should, it should be, be all, everyone's
1: response. All right.
0: Thinking Supergirl fans response. So yeah. whew, let us know what you think about this listeners. I was yeah. not anticipating. I like, I, my brain just wouldn't go there. It, right. it wouldn't make it like if they wanted to end Supergirl and as part of like their re like launching it, they're trying for Batwoman and some of these other ones also do a Superman show, sure. But to like be like, no, we're gonna take some of the characters and we're just gonna like Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Also, they'll need to have a baby? Are they gonna actually do that, do you think?
1: uh gosh who knows i mean these are just rumors that were circulating um some of them were like less reputable sort of sites but Mm -hmm. they're also like given just the way that things are maybe shaking out with the crisis on infinite earths you can definitely see them sort of doing that and they can also if the universe just gets literally rewritten somehow with Mm -hmm. Crisis on infinite earths what baby
0: yeah yeah it's true it's true we'll see what happens oh man okay well now I have a new thing to ponder, in, as I yeah. as I look forward to the you know the next year of uh, the next season of, t- of television. This week at the end of the podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, Leaving Neverland. Of course, the the high profile documentary about allegations of uh, child sexual abuse um, perpetrated by Michael Jackson. Uh, that's an intense conversation, but one I was really glad to have.
1: Yeah, and it's really powerful type stuff, and it's a really good discussion that I think the. We- you and I have about it.
0: Yeah, and of course, uh, content warning, trigger warning. If you yes. are sensitive to topics of, uh, you know, abuse and and uh, child endangerment, uh, sexual assault, of course these topics come up in our conversation of the documentary. So maybe give it a pass. Um, but that's that's so that's our end of, of of show spotlight segment. Before we get to our weekend TV, though, we do want to mention um, first of all, uh, RIP Luke Perry. Who for I mean, it's been a huge uh, and sustaining topic conversation on tv twitter a lot of people really reflecting on his work and and his contributions to pop culture and television um and i mean like obviously from 90210 but but also he's was currently on riverdale as one of the main characters um so or was a substantial supporting character depending on how you want to look at it and um yeah so so certainly a very beloved tv presence Um, Very missed. And I mean, he died of basically of a stroke in his uh, 50s, which is not something you anticipate. So quite a shock.
1: Yeah. um, My friend sent me a tweet admiring like Perry's sort of acting style in a particular episode of 90210. And I just went, oh, that's really funny because I was completely unaware that a he had a stroke and b that he was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so like three hours later, I found out that he had died earlier that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like, oh, well, I feel like a jackass. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah he he was a he was a solid fixture and always did really good work. Um, and he was pretty solid on Riverdale as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which that show needed.
0: Yeah, the presence that like I've only seen a handful of episodes but the the energy that he brought and the the casting choices that they were making especially with the older cast really did a yeah. lot to to add layers and uh a mm-hmm. lot of interesting uh like sub like like super textual context, you know, to what yes. they were doing. Um so so yeah, certainly that'll be it'll be interesting to see how what the show does if they recast, if they, you know, have the character die off screen, if they do something else. Um, but certainly Luke Perry, uh, very well remembered and, uh, a very impactful loss this week in TV. Um, also Alex Trebek announced this week that he has been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. For those who don't know, that's, just about one of the worst kinds of cancer you can get it's really bad um my grandpa died from that and he was like cleaning the gutters on his roof and walking three miles a day to gone in like 20 days it was like it can go really really fast so he's you know his announcement video was very optimistic and i'm gonna fight this and you know wish him all the best um it's not looking good You know, just statistically for Alex Trebek, and certainly that's another very prominent, very beloved television figure.
1: Yeah, uh, his announcement video was uh, both, oh, I'm crying, and then now I'm laughing because he's joking in his Trebek way about... I still have three years left on my contract, mm-hmm. um, which is so just delightful. Um, but then this similar to Perry resulted in an outpouring of like Trebek burn videos, which <laughs> I always appreciate seeing shared, um, particularly the one where none of the contestants know any anything about football. And Trebek's just like, all right, guys, let's just keep going through this. <laughs> yep, yep. Um so our thoughts
0: uh, are with Alex Trebek and his family and hopes for for a recovery and you know it does happen so we're we're all pulling of course for him and uh to to you know recover as best he can and hopefully he'll be you know finishing out that contract with all of us over the next several years but we will you know see what happens. Um let's get into our weekend in TV. We got a lot of TV to talk about this week and um so very heavy serious uh topics here so let's abruptly change tone by listening to bob sing about jimmy pesto's underwear from this week's episode of bob's burgers um i think i i think we're calling this pesto in my pants yes
1: that's what i'm gonna call it yeah
0: yeah so this is was song from bob's burgers we'll be right back with our week in comedy
1: i'm doing a dance
0: because i got pesto in my pants <laughs> I'm doing a dance Cause I got pesto in my pants My burgers would not flip My spatula had gips
1: But now I have no more care In tight Italian underwear I'm doing a dance Cause I got pesto in my
0: pants give it up, give it up, give it up. I'm
1: doing a dance
0: Again, that was pesto in my pants from Bob's Burgers. This week in comedy, we're going to talk about Fresh Off the Boat, Trentina. Then I'll talk a little bit about SNL's uh, most recent episode with John Mulaney and, and Thomas Rhett. We'll talk Bob's Burgers, the French <laughs> the Fresh Principal. Uh, I just I love that title. Then we have Grownish, Face the World, and we'll run things out with hashtag Brooklyn 99 The Golden Child. Those who were on Twitter will know the spelling of that. Okay, let's go to Fresh Off the Boat. Um, it's it's been a while since we talked about this one, and I you know this was a really strong episode i really enjoyed it i'm i was waiting for them to reveal that it was trent's sister in that episode because like it seemed like a the the clear thing that they were overstepping they're skipping over and so i'm glad that they got around to that and they didn't just like abandon that storyline uh, i really like the follow-up we got here what, what did you think of fresh off the boat
1: i really like the follow-up too. it it does it does something that this season has been doing really nicely which is like pushing Eddie into uncomfortable sort of maturity moments. Um, This season has been doing that a lot, like with the driving and having to drive people everywhere or talking um, Emery down from his uh, frustration with the fencing type stuff or to this of like realizing that he just kind of gives up on things and he needed a girl that he kind of liked to kind of make him realize that and Lewis then going... Well, no, that's exactly what you do. You do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as as the show has sort of struggled to figure out what to do with um, Eddie as it's progressed, um, watching them this season in particular figure that out and really mine it for solid comedy, but also like some really endearing sort of character growth, It's it's been really delightful. So this episode in particular, I think, worked really well in that regard. To do something both silly and also to maybe push Eddie towards realizing he wants to be a chef. Have we forgotten that that's a thing on this <laughs> show? Or I don't know if how he- closely they're going to keep keep to that.
0: <laughs> I know, yeah, That was the other thing I was going to mention is that I enjoy the way that they toy with that and play with that mm-hmm. and the audience's awareness of Eddie Wong um, and uh, you know like the the actual Eddie Wong. Um, so so having this be a a moment sort of in his development and um as moving towards be- becoming a chef and experimenting with food and, and all of these different things i think works really well and it's they, they hit it i think just enough and they come mm-hmm. back to it f- frequently enough that i think it really works Because i mean he's in high school how many of us yeah. he's like a freshman right freshman sophomore so yeah. how many of us as a sophomore knew what we wanted to do for our entire lives. Some people do, but I didn't. Um, So I think that if if they hit it too hard, it wouldn't Mm -hmm. work for the show. But I think the the moments like this and with the savory pancakes really work well.
1: They do. And it's just, it's really delightful. So I want to see them like keep turning to that. But like you said, only every now and then Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing I liked about this episode is that the other kind of thread that they're running this season is jessica realizing that her children increasingly don't need her um and that her ability to hide her fat failings from them is like becoming more and more difficult to the point where she's faking going for runs Mm. um by spritzing herself in the um to mimic sweat but this episode was just really funny in that regard as well and i really like how they're sort of addressing sort of the kids growing up in a different sort of way for parental anxiety Uh, than we necessarily get to see on these kinds of shows. Um, And watching her sort of like have to come to grips with these in increasingly ridiculous ways that basically boil down to, Constance, we need you to just pretend like you don't know how to run. Um, It's just really, really fun. And this this entire season has just been really strong um, overall. But I think Trentina just distills a lot of the things that they're doing really right this season.
0: Yeah, I loved how terrible she was at running. And... Mm -hmm. Like and so like I went to go see Captain Marvel uh, this morning, uh, and mm-hmm. and I noticed after a while that I had was just sitting with my my leg lifted up a little bit, so my other leg could like I was just sitting funny and gave myself mm-hmm. cramp, like like as if I was wearing heels, like my 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 <laughs> foot was like you know, yeah,
1: yeah 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 yeah,
0: and 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 I moved and my my calf was like no 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 I've given you a Charlie horse for no reason um uh, so <laughs> when she just like instantly dies i was like i can relate to that despite having run marathons before and everything but like you know in my own way i thought it was delightful and really well done my <laughs> constance woo and I, I enjoyed the um Just like how committed she was to as an actor, how how fully committed she was to Jessica being terrible at running. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was a lot of fun and certainly a nice uh, added element to Jessica as we know her. Mm. So, yeah, especially when she goes over to to Honey, who's on bed rest, to involve her in her running scheme. Uh, She's like, uh bed rest
1: (laughs) we just did a whole plot about me sitting on the sofa watching the sopranos what Uh, what did you miss (laughs) yeah yeah indeed
0: but no it was a fun episode and um Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) even just for for lewis you know lewis loves love and imagining the the half ginger half asian babies um so
1: beautiful yeah so rare
0: (laughs) Good times. Um, uh, I also really enjoyed SNL this week. Melanie hosted again for it was for a second time and it um uh, it was terrific. It was really fun. The monologue was just like fantastic uh i loved that they did a follow-up to the lobster diner sketch now did you remind me did you see the lobster diner sketch do you know what i'm talking about? i
1: did i did not realize that they did a follow-up to it, follow-up to it um so i'm very upset that i didn't watch bodega bathroom um, yeah so i watched a bunch of other clips from this including what's my name uh-huh. which is one of my favorite hater skits <laughs> um even though they've only done it like once before this but it's so good but it's so good um, that it's just like yeah yeah But no, I'll go watch Bodega Bathroom after we get done recording. It's very, very good. Because the lobster diner, the diner lobster one is so, so good.
0: Yeah, I was talking to one of of my uh, teacher friends and she had not, because I was telling her she should go watch co op because she's seen the cop- the company documentary. And the, uh-huh. then, of course, that immediately pivoted into this. And um, I look, I'm going to have to follow up with her to see what she thought of it. But um, yeah, I certainly enjoyed the, that. We'll be leading into our next segment with part of the the uh, bodega bathroom got, like just like the combination and the fact that they didn't stick with one musical for this the way that they did okay. like Les Mis but for that right. one but as part of the escalation in a part 2 right it's mm-hmm. like this combination of of cats and uh and and several sure. other musical i was going to say that but i don't actually want to like ruin it there's like a willy wonka cats situation with the bodega cat of course but then sure. some other ones get roped in and you're going to enjoy it um so uh, Mulaney has shown himself to be an a, a superb SNL host. Hopefully he will keep popping up every year or two. Um, Cause they, yeah, they have this drawer of old sketches, I guess is what it seems like it is uh, that nobody else could make work. So they, they seem to, when they're with him. So that was, that was a lot of fun. I also really enjoyed the, the to have and to have not sketch. Oh, that, they did. That,
1: that was his Bogart was delightful. Um, I think my bit was McKennon just cracking constantly. It was just very good.
0: In my I think he was doing Bogart, like you said. I saw some people saying he's not even doing a Bogart impersonation, I'm like, no okay. You can think that. Yeah,
1: you can think that. He totally is.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not Mulaney. Him no. not moving his face while McKinnon slobbers all over him is yeah. definitely a Bogart impersonation. Anyways, um, if you haven't seen that, go check it out. It's really entertaining. Uh, but let's move on now to Bob's Burgers and the fresh the fresh principal. Uh, what did you think of Principal Louise?
1: I really appreciated how just frustrated Louise was by... I did all this work, and I appreciated that the show showed us all the work she did to sell all this candy to be principal for a day, only for it to be an honorary thing of, you get to help us with the flag and do the announcements. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that's that's not what I sold all this candy for. I sold this candy to make changes. <laughs> and to get into the cabinet of confiscation. So this entire thing is really well done. But the what I really liked about, there are two things I really liked about this episode overall. The first was... The fact that Louise has to save Franz's job and actually wants to save Franz's job, uh, given that Franz, her overarching nemesis, uh, the it's always really delightful when they put the kids in a position that they need to save the job. Um, so that I really appreciated. And the other thing um, that I really liked, I will discuss because it's in the B plot. Um, but what did you think about Louise as the principal and the hijinks in the school?
0: oh delightful and i also liked that there were net positive outcomes to many of them like the kids being more focused after double recess and and some of these other it like and like you're gonna have double lunch so now you're gonna have 30 minutes to eat because my high school had uh no my middle school had six lunch periods of they were like 20 minutes so yeah yeah mine too
1: my high school had that yeah
0: yeah, that's ridiculous and not healthy. So, um, this was, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. That, yes, she might have, may have been going mad with power, but like they were unreasonable so. things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also really enjoyed the B plot with the yips and the Spatch Like, I that was a very solid B plot.
1: It was, and one of the things that I think elevates that B plot, um, in part because. You have Bob at the grill the entire time is that you have to storyboard that in a very different way from how Bob's Burgers normally gets animated. And they do so much good stuff with space in here, with especially in their use of wide shots, but also in how um, the animation happens through the window of the service counter is so really good in a very different way from how the show normally f- uses the restaurant. And it was really noticeable for throughout the for, throughout the people app for me, but it was also just how seamlessly it worked and felt very much of a piece of Bob's. And I was just like, why don't they do this more often? This is great. And the answer is that it's just you have to animate all those burgers on the grill. Mm-hmm. Um, but watching Bob just yell at people through the window um, was just really delightful. And then watching him flip the burger using two spatulas was also just really good as someone who has done that before mm-hmm. um especially like on a grill grill not like in in a pan uh, yeah. fry situation but on a grill, grill grill um i just went oh i know how hard that is it almost <laughs> never works well uh so that entire thing was just really really fun but also really aesthetically pleasing
0: yeah no it was like it was a solid episode and like bobs has been a little off for me recently like i still enjoy sure. it but it's has been as memorable this is one i will remember for a while definitely um i also uh think i'll remember Grownish face the world for a while there you know we are i don't we're headed towards a, a break for a while, or a season finale. Um, I don't know that I believe they're going to stick with this. Yeah. But the notion that uh, Dre is going to cut off Zoe financially, um, I think, is an interesting one. It, it's a good uh, place for the show to explore and live in for a while. I mean, I don't believe it because Bo would never do that. Um, and they, there's a big bow shaped hole in this episode. Mm-hmm. That, so, So that part of it doesn't work at all but I think that the uh what what we do get here with Zoe and with the other characters I think is is effective and and does work well I also completely buy Dre just showing up and and like doing what he does here inserting himself in her life and and while he has very good reasons to be concerned and 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 all of that like just deciding he doesn't like her boyfriend and therefore he's gonna pull her cut her off financially when that's nothing he has ever done. And that's not something that she is prepared to know how to handle, um, is very in character. So what what did you think of this one?
1: Yeah, I think that the bow sized hole was my big sticking point with a lot of this. Um, I understand like coming in, seeing your daughter in this kind of plush apartment. Um, he didn't see it originally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Um, And what they did to get it that way. (laughs) But um, I think that it all feels very Dre, but it also just feels very overly reactionary in a way that doesn't, that immediately makes you question whether or not they're going to stick to it. And while I like a lot of the concepts, like you said, of like, all right, well, how does Zoe pay for stuff now? Um, And I mean, it's not just her boyfriend. It's, the fact that he smokes pot and that there's just easy access to it there, and all that kind of thing, to which I go. But it's California. It's California. There's <laughs> easy access to pot literally everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of disconnect is also sort of like squishy for me. But I do think that there's good stories to mine there. But also, Gronish has demonstrated an unwillingness to stick to stories. And that makes me a little antsy about how much follow through we're going to get on this. Yeah. So it's sort of a wait and see sort of approach that I'm taking to this. Um, Even if the rest of the episode is generally an okay capper to a number of the other plots that were circulating through this first half of the season. Um, But legitimately, I think my favorite part was the stinger where Pops just takes the kimono yeah. and goes, you're not getting this back. What's I assure <laughs> you? Just like, that is Pops.
0: Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that was very fun. I really enjoyed it. And the the two of them just bonding over fashion. Like, yeah. I also totally bought that. And yes. uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice moment. Uh, I still am not enjoying the wanting to date your professor storyline. I will no. never enjoy that. And I'm not saying that that kind of a relationship can't be successful and like, a relationship that where two people meet when they have that kind of a disparity in their power. And like that has worked for people and that has led to supportive, healthy, positive, long-term or successful short-term relationships. I'm sure for plenty of people, but also it has been very detrimental and uh, abusive and a, an exertion of power over a person with less, Power and destructive for people as well. It can be both. And I think in, there's a long history on TV of really underexplored teacher student flirtations and relationships. And granted, this is a college. And usually, when this when shows try this out, it's a high school. It's a young teacher yeah. at a high school. Um, but be, for me, because there's such a long history of TV doing this horribly and abusively, <laughs> and being like it's totally hot that Pacey slept with his teacher or whatever, you know, these different things, um, I'm just instantly going to recoil against it, and I'm not excited that they're doing it here. I like what we're getting. I think what everything that they've been exploring so far has been really interesting and and it sparked some good uh progress for these characters but like and growth and self-reflection and all of that but i just i don't i just never gonna be excited about a show that i like doing a storyline like this
1: right and the fact that this is sort of a um relationship that's also influenced in terms of like Guidance, sort of into queer culture Mm -hmm. um also like that is also something that's explored to a certain degree in a number of narratives of like that first sort of like dedicated queer relationship um but just this just hasn't been given enough time i think to breathe to get to that point of um where it ends here with the frustration of well i could lose my job and that's why all this sort of stuff and it's just like well but then why are you doing this in the first place yeah yeah and type of thing and so nomi's sort of reaction makes sense given nomi's general lack of emotional maturity but it also just it's ill served by the narrative as well it's not the best way to do this Mm -hmm. and For exactly the power reason dynamics, if it had been in some other non-teacher-student sort of way, then I feel like it would have worked a bit better. But here it just feels really forced for the sake of conflict. And that's really frustrating.
0: Yeah, indeed. Well, and it's, again, this is, everything we're getting with Nomi feels completely in character and is working really well. But uh, we know professors. Those are really hard jobs to get. Anything that's even a decent job in in academia. Maybe
1: not at this school since...
0: Yeah, since Charlie.
1: (laughs) Since Charlie is like the dean of students or something. Yeah, but But it's
0: supposed to be a good school. It's supposed to be a prestigious and expensive uh, but I think state school, right? Those are hard jobs to get. I don't buy this teacher jeopardizing that. I mean, like, if they were newer, if they didn't have a real sense of what it would cost... I mean, I also know of professors who have had to switch schools because of getting involved with students not their students but students in different departments that they didn't even teach or interact with and still having to like leave the school like i don't know them personally but i know of them and so i just i i don't buy it from this teacher this teacher seems too aware and uh savvy for that so we'll see where it's going we'll see where it's going i guess any other thoughts on gronish
1: uh no but i'd much rather you tell me about what you thought about the brooklyn 99
0: yeah elbows up guys it's time for a dance-off
1: forearms all the way <laughs>
0: <laughs> famous brooklyn 99 fan lynn manuel miranda came on uh the show this week as one of amy's like seven brothers mm-hmm. and uh fabulous casting super fun he, him as the the golden child the titular golden child but like the the can do no wrong sibling who is also a cop but has been like decorated as a, a level higher than her in the you know because she had just recently been promoted um in, in the the police the police force and everything. Uh, yeah. It it worked very well. I, I enjoyed all of the different interactions that we got with Amy and Jake. I enjoyed <laughs> her. <laughs> You're not trying to make me a better person. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was. I think that whole part of it worked really, really well. And the whole B plot I hated, even though it was funny. Cause it's just the, sh- the show has gone further and further into this ridiculous over the top very sitcom-y place with Holt and with some of these other characters and you couldn't you can't get more ridiculous and sitcom-y than what we have here which is uh, like an acting competition between uh between you know well, it turns out three of the characters um with Boyle like running the strings and doing it out. like it it just felt so fake and it, it felt so far from who these characters actually are um and just it was really disappointing because as I was watching it, I was enjoying it. They were, it was funny. They were doing a good job, but I just, it was also at the same time I was going, but that's not how these characters behave. Um, So yeah. I felt like they're being let down.
1: Yeah, I, I really agree. I think that the lo- loosening up of hold is generally okay, but here it just goes a little too far. Mm-hmm. And I understand like this concept of like playing uh potential like snitches against undercover sort of things as a police tactic but here the couching of it within this whole acting competition feels a kind of icky and b it just feels weird um when you can very easily achieve what they achieve with just one bad actor they Mm -hmm. don't need two so to just to have it keep running is just really frustrating and then it just yeah it just doesn't work and boil as a mastermind is sometimes appropriate but here it just it feels off if it was about cooking sure i'd buy it in a heartbeat but this whole sort of director type of approach didn't register with me really at all so it it was like you said very funny but i also thought back to how uncomfortable Diet rosa was when she had to go in and just went mm-hmm. wow she's 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 grown a whole lot as an undercover officer mm-hmm. um in that short time because i remember like when she had to go undercover at a like a salon um, <laughs> the perm the perm, and it, it, she was just like i don't have any idea what to say to any of these people so like gina had to talk into her ear about mm-hmm. all of this and i just went oh so did we forget that that happened or did we just like has just got really good at it since then is where I also had a question. The A plot, though, was good. Um, I appreciated the, that they were almost willing to play a little bit with Lin-Manuel Miranda's image as like a golden creator golden can do anything will do anything type and then just immediately went no 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 no, no he's still perfect <laughs> um and i was just like i was very much with amy and i was just like no let let's do something weird and dirty with lin-manuel miranda and let's see what happens with that And the, but no, of course not. No, I guess I'll just have to wait for the His Dark Materials trilogy adaptation Mm -hmm. um, to see something grittier come out.
0: Oh, you know, he's not going to be a gritty Scoresby. He's going to be delightful, but I mean, that's not a gritty character.
1: No, it's not. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. When you want, you don't cast Limel Miranda for gritty, you know, in my experience, you cast him for whimsy and for fun. Which they achieve here. Um, they do. Yeah. Yeah. So this is why, And that's what they can bring him back to. So I look forward to that down the line. Hopefully with Jimmy Smith's. Yeah. Yes, right. Would watch. <laughs> would would very much enjoy. Um I liked the uh <laughs> I liked the, the, the discussion of the, the placement of the photos in the santiago household and like at least
1: people use the stairs (laughs) nobody
0: plays the piano uh yeah no and and like that she's upset and just because she's not number one not that she's like last or like she's not the black sheep of the family or anything like that but yeah no it it was fun it was a good time and it's any of these episodes where they give you more of a hint at why amy and jake work so well together i Mm -hmm. think are really great and they've You know, just come so far with that relationship since the beginning of the show. Um, Yeah, it's it's terrific. I I had a lot of despite all my problems with the B plot, I still really enjoyed this episode.
1: Yeah. Um, So, what wins your week in comedy? Um, I think I'll give it to Fresh Off the Boat this week. What about you? Uh, well, of these,
0: and it would be SNL. But uh, I also really mm-hmm. like there was a Brexit segment on Full Frontal that was very good. Superstores back, yes. which is nice. And I rewatched like the first five episodes of season one of Veep, and let me tell you, like, rewatch it. Listeners out there, if you haven't seen it, because it is surreal to watch it now. Like they, like literal things that are in season one of Veep have happened in the last two years. Like it's, it's scary (laughs) and horrifying, and that's like how, how uh, just prescient, I guess those early episodes are. I mean, it is like I the show's coming back for its final seven uh, episodes later this month, and. I mean it it just can't exist in the current world <laughs> because things that were ridiculous parody um it albeit biting parody and satire in season 1 have happened and so yeah that gets a mention too so so of these uh, SNL but really veep cuz damn just damn On that note, let's listen to a little bit of that Bodega Bathroom sketch. So we'll be right back with our week in reality, genre, and
1: drama. Come with me (laughs) and you'll be in a world of zero sanitation. Close your eyes and avoid inhalation. You want to view parasites? put a black light to it. Oompa, loompa, doompa-dee-doo. We've got a troubling bathroom for you. Oompa, loompa, doompa-dee-dee. We got an F from the CDC. What do you get when you sit on that seat? Swine HPV and a wave of heat. Where are like that. The sink is a swimming pool for rats. I don't like the looks of it. (laughs)
0: That was the Bodega Bathroom. Never <laughs> never use the bathroom at a Bodega um, sketch from SNL this week. This week in reality uh, reality genre and drama, we're talking about Drag Race. Uh, this week's episode, Good God, Girl, Get Out, but also looking at the season premiere. Now that Nolte had a chance to catch up with it, we're also talking Black Lightning, The Flash, and the finale for I Am the Night. So uh, first of all, some thoughts on Good God, Girl, Get Out. You can read my review over at the AV Club. I, I had some thoughts. So, so this they did this acting challenge in, in the second episode, which is a terrific change of pace from All Stars Four, where they did the acting challenge last. So there's 14 queens. <laughs> there's it, it really like separates the wheat from the chaff. You can see who does well and who really struggles. Um, I'm gonna. I, I have. Um, I'll be curious what you think about this. the The parodies that they do are Get Out and Black Panther. Okay. And they yeah. give Black Panther to the team that is like half white queens. And so and then the person who's casting it puts the so you see you end up with white queens wearing Afric, African tribal like face paint and costumes uh-huh. like they're not nobody's in blackface or anything like that. But it just feels weird to me. um Doesn't feel right for me to see a, a white person in tribal makeup. Uh and I it, I I'm not sure how I feel about it because are you going to say that you can't parody something? You can't take a drag twist on something because that's like that notion of something being uh, elevated above the rest of pop culture and something that like cannot be mocked or cannot be like had fun with is like to, that seems like that's completely antithetical to drag in general. The idea mm-hmm. that part of drag is that anything can so there's that, but and but then there's also okay, but there's like so few black superhero movies, and this is a you know, Black Panthers movie specifically about African and black excellence and heroes and culture, and you're giving that to white queens, and it's not the queens. They don't they didn't pick which show which one they were going to get. You know, like I'm really not sure how I feel about it. So I will look forward to your thoughts if you have them next week.
1: My thought initially is. Maybe you didn't choose well producers.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well and they you know, you know they love controversy over at Drag Race too, and uh I you know, I just I don't Yeah. I I, I put that I don't put that on the Queens, I put that on the producers because they're the ones who set up the challenge. Um so yeah, I will look forward to your thoughts. Tell me though what you think about the set of queen oh Hmm Before I forget also, uh, there's a discussion in the drag race community. Uh, Silky has been accused of assault by a fellow queen. Um, not not on Drag Race, but in the past. But then th- that it seems like that person also then came forward later. They didn't want their name out there and said that everything's been blown up too out of proportion, and, and that that person is, isn't like coming for Silky or anything. Like, so like I don't. It's very. We're waiting on more reporting on this, listeners. Or at least I am. Ah, uh, that's why it's not in my review at the AV Club because Silky has not made any sort of public statement. The person who initially reported this to like of somebody they know is doesn't want to didn't come forward to it. Doesn't want to pursue anything else. So I'm trying to just respect that. But we will let you know if more comes out with that. So with that having been said. What did you think of the season 11 premiere?
1: Right, so listeners, to like give you a little bit of context, um, I'm always going to be a week behind on Drag Race because it airs Thursdays at like nine o'clock, and my person and I like to watch it together, so I'll have never seen mm-hmm. it when Kate and I record on Friday. So,
0: you're gonna watch it after we record, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm going to watch it, like, tonight after Kate and I record. Uh, so I'll always be behind on Drag Race. So I apologize for sort of that slowness um, to my personal life. But those of you with partners who watch the same thing, you understand how this goes. <laughs> um, um, So I like the premiere pretty well. Um, I thought the, the introduction to having 15 queens was kind of just a lot too many queens it's it's too many queens it's way too many queens and i couldn't remember how many we've had in the past but my person looked at me and went is it always this many and i just went i don't think so i really don't it's
0: the most ever
1: yeah it's just it's a lot um so a lot of what kate said last week um i'll just ditto in that it's too many queens. Uh, the pose with a legend challenge is a neat concept that doesn't get enough screen time, and I—it's difficult to ascertain why Silky won over everyone else when we're not told why or anything about that. It's just like Silky won, and it sort just of went, "Yeah, but but by what rubric? And how did we decide this? Because while clearly some people didn't do a great job based on the little snippets we got." Also, a lot of these photos just looked the same. So why? <laughs> and the answer is, because we need to talk to Miley Cyrus. And <laughs> it's sort of like, I agree also with Kate in that the realization that it's Miley Cyrus is delicious and amazing. And I would not trade it for anything except maybe less screen time with Miley Cyrus. Um <laughs> Because it was like, this is really good, but also I don't care about Miley Cyrus giving them advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I was, like, ready to get on with things. Um, but now we can, like, talk about the thing that we didn't talk about, with, which was the eliminations. I didn't know who got eliminated and for what reasons. Um, I feel like So Sho- Sh- Soji? Soju. Soju. So-Ju. Um, got kind of a bum rap because I kind of liked the outfit. I immediately went, oh, you're going to get nailed for not having a silhouette. You're going to get nailed so hard for that. But I also just liked the look. I liked the story around the look. And I don't think that people were like super receptive to that approach to that. And I just went, "Mm, this is not a great look for you show. Um, So, but overall, I thought like everyone generally did an okay job with their trunks of other folks um, stuff. Um. Even though I do feel like it, Plastique's uh Sasha Valor look was literally generic enough that it could have applied to any queen, but it just happened had a bunch of roses in it, so naturally that's Sasha. Um, and I just went. That's that was one look of Sasha's. <laughs> <laughs> one, it's not a consistent sort of look like we have with uh Bianca Del Rio or um um Bendela Krem's sort of like aesthetic that it carries through a lot of their drag. It was like that's one thing that Sasha did. <laughs> um, but I generally think it worked well enough. And it does sort of like give us a a little bit of a sense of who these queens are, which is a good thing to do. Uh especially when there's so many of them. <laughs> but also it's just like I don't know who I like yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know who I don't like yet. Um i'm definitely keen on the queen who identifies as a conceptual queen i'm just like yes let's have some of that but also i'm just like conceptual queens really struggle in this show just historically (laughs) um so we'll see how it goes but i'm i'm optimistic like you had mentioned um about the range of queens in terms of types in terms of ages um and approaches that they have, I'm eager for that mix and see what shakes out. But it also just makes me like, there's just too many of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Um, the yeah, the, I think for Soju, if she had been able to sew that yes. instead of knotting it, yeah, I, maybe I feel like maybe. if basically so if it, if the back looked as like the same level as the front. Yeah. I think she probably would have been okay. Is my guess that she would have been like bottom two, but maybe, maybe, maybe even like bottom, but not up for elimination. And then when the lip sync, I mean, she just got crushed. Like her, she was doing good with the face, I thought, but like yeah. she tripped on her. Yeah. Screen. You, you got to know that that's not going to work for lip sync, right?
1: No, that was that was like my last point of like you got to dress for the lip sync. Mm-hmm. Always dress for the lip sync.
0: Yeah, I mean, like. There, there, there are things I think she could have done to, to prep for that. Like even just like getting taking some scissors to the tool to just make it a little higher because they also mm-hmm. know what the song is, so they know it's an up tempo kind of song. Um, and let's also not take away from Kahana. I thought that she did a good job. She was really moving yes. and she was working her butt mm-hmm. off. Um, yes. yeah. How did you feel about the return of Miss Vanji?
1: I'm excited about it. Um, and I'm hoping that Vanessa. Demonstrates why they brought her back apart from her memification of herself mm-hmm. that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully does not just get eliminated in episode... Didn't get... I'm hoping she did not get eliminated in last night's episode. She did not.
0: She, I, <laughs> okay, okay, well, good. She, she's... No, no, no. She's doing just fine. I think... Actually, if anything, I feel like she got... Uh, she didn't get enough credit for her, her look that in, in, the, in the second episode, which is mm-hmm. like... Not still, it's not wasn't one of my favorites, but even on a craft level and on a like in physical endurance level, I feel like should have gotten more love from the judges. So, mm,
1: okay, but
0: we're gonna not have enough comments from the judges for a while until they whittle down to fewer queens. So we'll see what yeah. happens. Uh, you will, I'm anticipating greatly enjoy the guest judges on the second episode, uh, Bobby Moynihan and uh, Sid. Sude- uh, Sude- it's Noel from Glow okay. and Black Panther. Um, and it's, of course, for those who don't know, Bobby, Bobby Moynihan was in that famous SNL Chris Pine drive Race sketch. Right. So it's, it's delightful. He's quite a fan of the show, and it comes through very nicely. And I always love when they have act- actors on for the acting challenges, because
1: mm-hmm. it gives a
0: different kind of perspective. So anyways, we've talked about this a lot longer than I anticipated. We should move on to our next show, which is Black Lightning, the Book of Secrets, Chapter 4, Original Sin. Uh, so you're caught up now. How are you yes, feeling finally. about Black Lightning?
1: I'm, I realized, like, I had, listeners, I had sort of faded out during um, We're on the Run arc, um, uh, Booker Rebellion, I think it was. Um yeah. And just kind of faded out a little bit on the show because I wasn't really, like, latching on to this in any way. And it felt like a digression of sorts uh, to me anyway. So, and that's sort of what I realized as they got back into the Book of Secrets, I just went, oh, yep, nope, that's what this was. That's what this was. Um, so now that they're sort of like back in Freeland to a large degree and like dealing with the school um, and that Tobias is actually like making moves and that we've introduced the masters as disaster um who are just such a good group of comic book villains um just from a name level they're (laughs) great um that we're moving in these directions makes me really geared up for the final two episodes of the season that we're about to kick off next week um since we're only doing a 16 episode season this year um that i'm really excited to see how all of this sort of like maybe comes together um or if we get kind of in a little bit of a let off sort of situation that we got with season one of like we're gonna do this as more like a rolling continuation things as opposed to self-contained seasons which i am thinking is what's going to happen but we'll see going forward um my only other big thing right now is I'm just glad that the government's still terrible in Black Lightning, regardless of who (laughs) it is being represented by. The government is still bad. And I really appreciate that. How did how have you been feeling about Black Lightning this season? Because it's been a long time since we've talked about it.
0: Well, you know, I'm going to go back to I have a question for you about something that happened a while ago is. Yeah, I did. not, And I mentioned at the time, I was seriously impressed that they. Killed Khalil. I didn't think they would. Uh, Did did you? Were you also surprised when they did that? When they committed to doing that?
1: I'm really glad that they committed to doing that. Um, in part because it just provides a lot more like emotional resonance that the show needed. But it also allowed them to get back to the community, um, in a way that I, in a really organic sort of way. Um, even though it involved killing off a main supporting sort of character, um. But I'm glad that they've stuck with it. And, um, boy, that ripping out the spine part was gruesome, Kate. Yeah.
0: You could, it was like, real. You could feel that watching it. I yeah. I really felt that. I just went, how did they get away with that? <laughs> Nobody's paying attention on CW, man. You should see yeah. what they get away with on Supernatural.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. But, uh, no, I've well, been enjoying it.
1: Supernatural is the- also almost old enough to drive now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's that. Details. Details. Um, So for this episode this week, I really liked what we actually got with Lala. I was surprised mm-hmm. when he came back, and I liked the way that they handled it. Um, I think it's more interesting. I also think, though, they're, they're going to have to keep him dead when he dies to try yes. to take out Tobias, which is going to happen. Um, At least I think I look forward to being wrong, but maybe it'll be interesting. I mean, more likely with these kinds of shows, you're not watching necessarily, at least I'm not watching for them to... Surprise me or prove me wrong. I'm watching for them to to do a good job telling an interesting story. Because um, right. at a certain point, if you if you can't t- tell where it's going, or if you know if, if you can't like project ahead what makes sense in the story, then sometimes it's because the show is not being honest about its story it's zigging and zagging just to zig and zag and that can be fun for a few seasons of vampire diaries but it can also lead to a lot of burnout um so so for me i'm looking forward to these last couple episodes i think it's been a strong season uh again i've very impressed with this as a second season show it's so confident it, the performances are so strong they've done such a wonderful job of world building the weak point of the show Gamby is no longer the weak point of the show for me I think they've really done a terrific job of shoring up that character in, in his corner of the world and uh, I'm excited about this Grace stuff
1: yeah I'm hoping the Grace stuff really pays off um yeah and really delivers on something because Grace um Grace is just an interesting character and I really want to see this play out. And I'm hoping it plays out really nicely. And I'm hoping it does My only concern is that it's going to get overshadowed by a big showdown Mm -hmm. type stuff, but I don't want it to be because I'm really invested in seeing what happens and how this impacts um, our trio of heroes.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of big showdowns, on The Flash we got King Shark versus Gorilla Grodd. So what did you think
1: i mean i came in just because i wanted to see two cgi creatures punch each other and boy howdy did i get to see two cgi (laughs) creatures punch each other complete with like a lot of blood um to the point where i also went how are we getting away with oh right because it's a giant shark man and a gorilla is how we're getting away with this um it's very silly, um, and it's very standard Beauty and the Beast sort of narrative type stuff. Um but it's fine. Um it's mm-hmm. very enjoyable. Um I guess like my question for you as someone who's still watching The Flash is the degree to which this whole conversation about Barry administering the cure without his permission is playing into tensions on the team, if at all. Um, or the degree to which this is, like, mattering to the larger scope of, like, a seasonal arc for this, um, apart from this idea that we can use this against Cicada.
0: Yeah, um, they didn't have nearly strong enough a reaction in this mm-hmm. episode. And, and I think the reason I feel that way is because, and they, I mean Cisco and Caitlin, and the reason I feel that way is because I saw Barry's face, and I saw contemplative face and remark to Nora about how we have to change how we're fighting. And like, he intended to do that the whole time. It was not because of, you know, like, and, and they don't know that necessarily because he was not as clear with that as he could have been. Um, But I think that that is some, that is about as, as core and central as you can get for a scientist yeah um to like that that's about as core betrayal as you're gonna get and um it is not given enough weight here and also i don't see a way that this doesn't lead to like making a cure like this is going to be weaponized right it's it's, yeah it's gonna be and it's like for characters that are just dangerous to everyone they're around you know, and really is this the conversation we need to be having right now in an anti vaxxer world? Um, with measles outbreak outbreaks everywhere. Um, but I don't see a way a world in which or show in which uh Cicada wants the cure. Uh right. and so then it becomes a question of do we force the cure on him? And if we don't, then we then instead we watch as he keeps killing people, you know, like I'm not looking forward to them all agreeing that Barry's right, which I feel like is the only way that the storyline can really go. Yeah, Uh, So that's, uh, yeah, I'm having trouble with it. I feel like him doing this, Barry using the cure as a weapon against someone who has not asked for it in this episode, feels like the like like because they did that 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 means that the storyline has to be going somewhere else for the end of the season you know whereas mm-hmm. if he didn't use it now then it would be building to him using it as a weapon at the end of the season so i'm not yeah. really sure where they're going with this but um i do think that they have written themselves into tricky territory i don't know that i they can believably work their way out of it
1: yeah it seems like it also provides a way for Carlos Valdez to leave. There's rumors circulating that he's wants, he, he's, he's done. He's ready
0: to be done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Jeremy Jordan-esque sort of like, I'm done yeah. type of thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I can see this as a way to do that. Um, everything else about the episode um, seemed fine. But it also just like, the shows so much still at war with itself in my brain of like, we're going to do something really silly. We're going to have a shark and a girl fight each other. We're also going to have this very serious conversation about consent and ethics Mm -hmm. of scientific experimentation and do it in a very serious way. And it's like, I don't know that you're able to really reconcile both of these things as well as you think you're doing. And you're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Though the most important part of the episode, clearly, Joe's back. Yay! Joe's back!
1: Yay! Yeah, Yeah, I appreciate the show's dedication to, yeah, Wally left, he's just gonna hang out in Tibet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, and also them just like in his first scene back, they just like keep having him stand up and down on the couch. It's like, oh, I'll go get the baby. No, you sit back down. No, I can get it. like like I swear he like stood up two three times in that scene. And they're like, hey, his back works again, guys. Yay, <laughs> yay. We're so happy he's back. Uh, which was you know we are so happy that he's back. Um, our last episode of the week in TV is I am the Night, which had its finale. Queen's Gambit accepted and uh how do you feel like this the season ended i i or the show limited series miniseries whatever you want to call it i was uh, rather underwhelmed with the end of the show what did you think
1: yeah i think that this is probably one of the here's the, here's the weird thing is though i think this is one of the better episodes that the show ended up putting out mm-hmm. at the same time it's remarkably rote um we've got a serial killer monologuing we've got a harrowing escape We've got uh, the monologue being about art and not being understood and all this sort of stuff. And then like a last minute run sort of a, to save our um, save a character. And it just all feels really pat, but it's also at least well done to a certain degree. But there's just not a lot there there. And that basically encompasses the entirety of the show. Um, especially when... They frame this um, with uh, race riots happening in Los Angeles um, and to try and tie it back to this sort of sense of racial identity that was sort of at the core of the show for like two episodes and then kind of drifted away and then come is supposed to maybe come roaring back somehow within this um, last episode. And it's just very difficult to swallow an attempt to try – To maybe provide some weight to this. Which I think is what they're wanting to do. As like a backdrop. But there's no connection there. It's just very amorphous. Sort of stuff. That I don't feel like tells us anything. About either of our two main characters. Or about Los Angeles. In the 60s. 60s? At large. And so it just ends up being like. Wow Chris Pine's really good in all those barroom scenes. And that's about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't think the whole, the pieces ever came together into a whole with this series. And uh, there's a lot of really interesting and compelling pieces, but this, I mean, and obviously this is not a determinative factor for whether a show is good, but for a story that is based on true, at least to some extent. And when each episode is bookended with Like, pictures of the actual Hodel Mm. family and, like, for more on, you know, this actual historical figure, you know, kind of stuff. This is all fabricated for this last episode. And that's part of why it feels so pat and so cliche, because it didn't actually happen. And the other stuff did happen, uh, at least a lot of it. And so when we get the villain monologuing and we get the plucky young heroine, you know, getting a retort in Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that f- doesn't fit with the other stuff that we saw. Um it's not as interesting. And the, the it also felt like the show wasn't sure who the the main character was, mostly because they got Chris Pine. Yeah, And so then he should be the main character, but Fauna should be the main character. So like it started with it being her story, and then it became his story. And the end, they tried to go back to it being hers. It didn't really work, I I didn't think. um, But it's a shame, because there's a lot of really compelling stuff here, and there's some really good performances. And, I mean, the actor who plays Hodel is really creepy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Really, really good job.
1: Get that man on Mindhunter when it comes back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, it was disappointing because I don't know. I mean, I don't know what other ending you would do. Yeah. But I feel like they needed to have a stronger sense of that in the early writing phases when they were like arcing out how the pacing was going to go. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it, the overall impression of it was that it was fine with some really standout moments and performances. And uh, it's a shame it wasn't more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There just needed to be more there. But it all, it just needed a better construction and structure, mm-hmm. especially when you've only got six episodes. You have zero room for error. And they just made a lot of, especially unforced errors, it felt like, of why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Well, we wanted to go to Hawaii, and the Hawaii stuff's fine and important to Fauna's narrative, and also to see Chris Pine in heart-shaped sunglasses, Mm -hmm. but there's just... The sense of dramatic resolution just doesn't come through enough, and it's really... That's what this basically boils down to, is that there's not enough resolution, and when you have Fauna wandering into a fog of stuff back towards like los angeles and pine's character walking into the darkness of some unknown it's like there's something you're trying to say but you don't know what you're trying to say you're just saying something here and it doesn't mean anything
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, I think for me it actually would have been a more interesting ending if they had basically ended it at five yeah you know like or and with an awareness from jay that they weren't going to catch this guy, and that it's horrible. But also, that's I mean, that's Chinatown Jack. Like it's very, <laughs> it feels like it's very much trying to be Chinatown at the end. And um, you're not gonna be better at Chinatown than Chinatown. So
1: no, no, you're not. Also, except unless you're like Hot Fuzz, <laughs>
0: <laughs> indeed indeed well on that note what wins your week in reality genre and drama
1: i think probably black lightning of what we discussed here um yeah i think black lightning what about you well yeah but i mean i think for both of us
0: probably is leaving neverland right
1: right yeah (laughs) so
0: it's spoiler is leaving neverland uh and we're going to talk about that in a little bit here so let's actually let's just do it now let's take a break and then we'll listen to a trailer for leaving neverland and we'll be right back with our spotlight segment
1: Everybody wanted to meet Michael or be with Michael. And then he likes you. I
0: was seven years old. Michael asked, do you and the family want to come to Neverland?
1: We drive in and forget about all your problems. You were
0: in Neverland. It was a fantasy. The days... Were filled with magical childhood adventure experiences. Playing tag, watching movies, eating junk food,
1: anything you could ever want as a child. It's like hanging out with a friend that's more your age. Just kid things, they were just doing kid
0: things. He just came across as a loving, caring, kind soul. It was easy to believe that he was just that out of a storybook, right? Out of a fairy tale.
1: Hello, Wade. Today is your birthday. So congratulations. I love you. Goodbye. There's no thoughts of this is wrong or anything like that.
0: He told me if they ever found out what we were doing, he and I would go to jail for the rest of our lives.
1: Secrets will eat you up. You feel so alone.
0: I want to be able to speak the truth as loud as I had to speak the lie for so long. That was a trailer for *Leaving Neverland*, the documentary that aired on HBO this past week, chronicling abuse at the hands of Michael Jackson of two people, Wade Robson and uh, James Safechuck, who have come forward to tell their story. I did not realize just how soon this was airing because I remember when it, you know, aired at Sundance and it got picked up right away for HBO. I thought that it was going to be further out. So, um, you know, we had just talked last week about these documentary series and uh, how like how how much prestige they're getting and how much attention they're getting um not just for for view, viewers and ratings but also just critical acclaim and so following up on that we have this expose uh documentary this is one of the most buzzed about documentaries I think we've had in quite a while uh how did, did you know were you planning to watch this i mean i i watched it right away you know me i keep putting myself through these intense documentaries um were you planning to watch this or did you kind of see that I watched it and you were like, oh, okay, let's, let's get some searing truth. What what did you, th- you know, and, and how effective was it for you?
1: Uh, I also did not know that this was airing this week and only popped it on because you had watched it. Um, otherwise, I really wasn't planning on uh, checking it out in not because I'm like a huge diehard Michael Jackson fan. I am not. But it's like, um, it's not
0: something you wade into easily. It's really intense you know yeah inten- like difficult material
1: it is especially like the first part is really a lot um that being said it was also one of those things where i don't know that i just watched it in sort of a detached state in some way um but i both stories are deeply deeply disturbing um and it's to the documentary's credit that they don't shy away from that but that they also don't shy away from how the abuse sort of like spread out basically between amongst their families which is also like a really key point in all this um and how jackson managed to um basically place himself particularly um I think the particularly the safe checks, yeah. Safechucks family, um, since they were located in the States uh, for most for all of this, whereas uh Robson's um was only just it was much more it was a much more tightly knit thing with the Safe Chucks. Um so I think that there's that aspect to it as well that I really appreciate the show exploring and having both of the mothers present for interviews was also really, I think, added a great deal of oomph to the documentary as well. And so... But there's just so much to digest here, but there's also just the fact that, for me, a lot of this was just, like, sort of, like, in my brain, I think I just absorbed a lot of this through cultural osmosis, particularly through uh, that early aughts trial. um, That, uh, not early aughts, but late 90s, early aughts, I think, um, trial where... A lot of that was circulating and that they get into in part two. And just all of that it was sort of gotten stuck in my brain. So a lot of this, like I was aware of Robson to a large degree, since he has much higher profile than say Chuck does. Um but for me, for some reason, I think I just sort of conflated everyone in a weird way. And so this provided a um differentiation that i really needed and so a lot of this i just kind of went i know i feel like i feel like we i feel like i knew all of this to certain degrees um but then it was more a realization of and maybe i've filled in those gaps anyway um based on like the um whatchamacallit the um the 05 i think uh trial type of thing so i think that's kind of where it was like this is explicitly and explicit new information. um, But also stuff that I just, I think maybe just assumed or filled in myself. And so that's sort of where I ended up with this is like, this was new, but also not deeply surprising, but also in terms of like the, like the actual sexual abuse. But then a lot of the stuff with the family overall was also, was very new and I think grabbed my attention a bit more so um, just on a informational level.
0: Yeah. What I really appreciate about this documentary, aside from just the fact that, you know, that they made it, the, you know, which takes a lot of yeah. courage. And like, I can't imagine just ripping those wounds over and over again, like ripping right. them open to to for the process for of a making this. For couple like
1: nine hour days. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, but. Is, is that this is very much, and they talk about this with Oprah in, in After Neverland, but this is very much a documentary about these two people. Yes. It's about Wade Robson and it's about James Safe, Safechuck. And it's also about their families and it's also about Michael Jackson, but really it is about them because they are they are who matters. Um. So it's not a, the st- life story of Michael Jackson and his childhood trauma and his childhood abuse and, and all these different things. It is about them. And... And like we talked about with Lorena last week, I also love that it does not try to back away from this idea of Michael Jackson as a just very warm, kind, benevolent figure in their life and also a horrific abuser and that it is both. And that the fact and it, it, it does not. You know, it doesn't hide from that. It doesn't try to explain that away. It doesn't try to give viewers a safe or easy answer to that um, because that's dishonest. It also just is the way it's presented. I think this is very well made. It's, it's presented in a way that just steps you through their life and their experiences and in a way that... I think because when you hear these stories trickle through the the press over the decades, you know, um, there's so many like it's like every instinct you might have as a viewer to be like, OK, but why would you let your kids stay with some guy you barely knew? Like they, they like anticipate all the things like the, the defense mechanisms that a viewer might come up with to try to explain away or victim blame uh, what happened so that. The viewer will think, oh, this could never possibly have happened to me or to my kid. Um, They really manage that well, I think, and to make you see these as flawed people, but as people who made mistakes that a lot of other people could have made. Um, And I think that's a really helpful and essential thing because that's not something you get when you when people come forward and just give an interview you don't get all that context that larger view um and so and this, like you said the this discussion these discussions with the families were such a big part of why that the documentary is successful in that way
1: right and i think that that's really sort of key because the there's that journalistic sort of approach of all right we're going to talk to these folks but then we're also going to contextualize this and that One of, I forget who it is, basically says, well, Jackson was in our living room literally every, not literally, but figuratively every night because we were listening to his music, we saw him on television, and that kind of scale of super celebrity can be deeply um, intoxicating, but also, like, blind you to any number of things. And especially in sort of a, um, in a forlorn era like the 90s... um, there is this sort of unfiltered sort of approach to it as well of like well but this this is wild we we don't have these kind of connection to a celebrity that way um like that kind of a sense of a first hand connection whereas now we have like social media posts and these kind of things from any number of celebrities that gives us another sort of level of engagement but also their lives are both their personal lives but also their um professional lives are a lot more exposed to us in a different way than they are were necessarily in the 90s so the intoxication and charisma of Jackson and the situation of it especially given maybe like their socioeconomic status versus Jackson's also like plays a part in this as well i think so all of this i think is really well Connected, basically, in explaining why you would, why either of these families would engage in these things from either, it just really triggered a maternal instinct in me to, I really wanted my son to succeed in this industry that he had a keen interest in exploring and becoming a part of. And those are like the two threads for both of these mothers of what they were thinking about while these things were sort of happening.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also just shows such talent in for for mm-hmm. for Wade. I mean, to mm-hmm. when, when you if you can dance like that and you want to be a dancer, it's hard to think of a better yeah. foot in the door. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so while it's easy to pass judgment on the parents and I think also it's very justified to pass judgment on the on the parents it, it it's it's also hard to like put yourself in that position like does you know what if you if you trusted this person how would you know how easy would it be for that to be manipulated and used against you and uh yeah the the again the pacing because it's four hours right splitting yes. it up over two nights was a very good move um for hbo but i mean i can't imagine like it was an intense viewing experience watching it like like i watched it back to back on hbo go but i had had like a little downtime i can't imagine what it was like watching it at sundance like with a full theater like that like that must have been an intense experience to, to watch that with other people um but having like i think it's paced really well i didn't notice the four hours for me how did that work for you
1: Uh, I noticed the four hours to a certain extent. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that there's easily like half an hour's worth of slow moving aerial shots of the ranch and of Los Angeles that we could probably have done away with Mm -hmm. um, that serve some purpose that I haven't like been able to quite figure out, but also just feel sort of exhausting after a certain point um, and don't necessarily aren't exhausting in, like, a productive way, at least for me. So I think that there's a three three three-and-a-half-hour to three-hour version of this documentary that exists somewhere, um, but generally I'm okay with it overall. I think that the content is good enough um, and compelling enough that it justifies its runtime in a way that... Sometimes the like Lorena didn't necessarily or couldn't necessarily justify this. Generally, I think does enough.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel like you know we talked about it with Lorena that it felt like at least for me it felt like they spent too much of the first episode trying to trick you into feeling one way, so that then they could pull the rug out and have you feel another way. And they don't yeah. do that at all in this. No,
1: no, their their approach is very clear from the beginning, which I also appreciate in terms of a again, goes back to this more sort of journalistic approach of like, we're not doing a true crime journalistic thing here. We're doing a journalistic thing here. So we're going to give you our lead and we're not going to back away from that lead in any way, shape, or form. And we're not going to necessarily, we're not going to have anyone from the Jackson family or the Jackson estate weigh in on this either. And we're not going to talk to Culkin. We're not going to talk to Corey Feldman. We're not going to talk to anyone who's, basically like yeah no i didn't do anything to us so you didn't do anything sort of thing or how dare you do this hbo mm-hmm. um the entire litigation by the way around um the jackson estate and um hbo is really interesting um and i encourage people to sort of explore this because one of the things that the estate is claiming is that hbo's 1992 agreement to air a concert Mm -hmm. breached their one of the clauses in the contract in which hbo agreed to never ever 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 disparage jackson's public image which in a contract in 1992 is a i feel very telling on some level that that was included but b that this is something that the Jackson estate had on hand real quickly to sue HBO about. Um, so I'm really, I'm really compelled by all of this. And I feel like there's a s- no much smaller movie to be made about the reaction to this.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they'd never for a second pretend you don't know what you're watching. Yes. You, you clicked watch, you know, and that's, this was going to be a high profile documentary. As soon as they started making it, right? There's no way to get around it. And, um, and again, like I said, for me, it's very compelling, uh, and well done. I remember, uh, a while back watching So You Think you, After Robson had come forward, because I, you know, I knew him from some of the choreographing he had done on So You Think You Can Dance. Right. I remember seeing them do a Michael Jackson number uh-huh. and just being confused, like, wait, but didn't one of their choreographers like come forward recently with? allegations against michael like why aren't why are they citing why are they using paying michael jackson money and when one of their people like wow really wow um i appreciate that as far as i'm concerned you can't watch this documentary with anything approaching an open mind and come come out with anything other than this happened um yeah and i i really appreciate that because like apparently that's something that needed to happen yeah, that that like something like this, you know, people still were not sure about like the like the people who were not sure about R. Kelly, who hadn't really looked into it enough or were choosing to not, you know, you can't watch those R. Kelly documentaries and come away with a different conclusion. There's just too much testimonial, too much uh, evidence from the pe- experiential, like people talking about what ha- they experienced, but also in, in the R. Kelly case, too many, too much physical evidence, too. To come away with any other conclusion. And I feel that way about this one as well. You can't watch this and just be like, oh, they're all lying and faking it. Like, Right.
1: Yeah. It No, it's really difficult to turn this off and go it, to say exactly what you say. And then there's also the cynic in me, but also like the good planning sort of in me is like, yeah, but we're going to do the after show with Oprah. Mm hmm. And that it gives it like a massive amount of legitimacy in within a cultural and media landscape of like, no, Oprah signed on on this. yeah, And that provides a great deal of legitimacy, especially in circles that may otherwise sort of defend Jackson to a certain degree. And so also by framing it within uh, Oprah's own, like they make a big deal about Oprah doing 217 hours worth of episodes of the Oprah Winfrey show about sexual abuse uh which is a startling number of episodes when you stop and think about how much how many how many how many episodes she did over the course of her time um that this also provides a deal a great deal of like no this is something that she's concerned with and that she upon watching this documentary went oh yeah i want to be involved in this in some way shape or form and does it by having robson and the director uh reed and then Safechuck on to do like a conversation about and also like feel sort of shore up a de- de- line of defense basically
0: yeah
1: um against them as w- uh against accusations that they're making it up or against people who just kind of refuse to accept it and to have this also come out in the current landscape of a Time's Up and a Me Too sort of thing um, also helps to bolster the reception of this. If this had come even maybe 10 years ago, it would have been written off, I feel like, mm-hmm. even given the uh, fact that their stories really line up very well um, and are told independently of one another, um, which helps us also their case
0: yeah well and i also think the i think the special was very well done mm-hmm. um and having like i would never have thought of this but but filling the audience with abuse survivors mm-hmm. was really very powerful because every time the the camera would show the audience the reason they were showing the audience is that you were seeing a range of reactions and usually recognition from some of the people the yes. the reactions um you know, and it wasn't – there were certain things that everybody seemed to respond to and, like, have, a, like, a nod of recognition to. And then there were other things that some of them didn't. Some of them were just, you know, like, listening. It was really uh, compelling. And, and like you said, that's a way of getting out ahead of people who might think that this is made. It's like, okay, well, but here's a room full of people who all have endured – uh, some form of of sexual abuse or child abuse, and they all recognize this. So, if if you don't want to believe them, maybe examine why that is. Um, I think that there's, I mean, there's still plenty more that will hopefully come out with uh with me too, but. But child abuse is, you know, in 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 the in Hollywood is another big one. Like I feel like the shoe is yet to fall, um, yeah. and hopefully this will help more people feel like they can come forward. Uh, but I, I thought that you know Oprah did a terrific job interviewing them. I, you know, it was interesting seeing some of the reactions because, of course, Twitter was filled with people who didn't want to believe it or were reacting against. And to see some people, like there was a split between people who were saying this was BS between people who said they believed Wade but they didn't believe James, or they believed James, but they didn't believe Wade because of how they were acting and because they were they were in different places. They are in different places, it seems, on their journey to, you know, recovery right. and 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 trying to heal and and you know keep working on their their mental health and emotional well being. And and so having <laughs> again that that audience full of people Uh, who can react. Having having a few people in the audience that she can go to, that Oprah could go to, when she sensed that they needed a little break on the stage was really smart and and worked really, really well. Uh, Having the director up there so that, again, they could ask him some questions so it wasn't just another hour-long grilling of these two people. Uh, It all, I think, for me, worked really well.
1: Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. And then also, like, Having some folks that she had had on before with the uh, male victims of sexual abuse, plus like Anthony Edwards, um, who's been doing a lot of work in this area as well, I think just worked for, made a big difference as well.
0: Yeah. Are you going to watch the Gail King interview of R. Kelly? I wasn't planning to, but then I kept I – I've heard from many I saw places. enough clips
1: of it that I'm sad. You're good.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah, I just heard that yeah. she did a really good job, which is the only reason I might watch it because I don't need to give him any of my energy.
1: Yeah, her her approach to that was really well done, and her calm in all of that mm-hmm. was, like, just borderline stoic. Um, but I've seen enough clips that I'm pretty much set there.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, would you recommend people watch Leaving Neverland? It's, like, again, it's, and if you watch ever, after Neverland, that's five hours of really intense stuff. Yeah.
1: I would do what I did which is basically split it up across two days basically Mm -hmm. like I watched part one on one day and then watched part two the next day um, and finished part two with um, After Neverland Um, but you should definitely at least watch the first definitely at least watch the documentary in and of itself Um, I don't think it's like great cinema but I think it's good I think it's in good and important sort of like cultural content in terms of All right, we need to rethink what we think about Michael Jackson the same way that we're rethinking what we think about Spacey, about Weinstein, about all of these folks. And this is that step in doing that.
0: Well, and especially because this is a cultural conversation that it's going to be really hard to miss. Yes. You know, like you're, there's certain ones, like, okay, uh, Kevin Spacey's a creep. I just won't watch Kevin Spacey movies. Okay, I believe that. But Michael Jackson cannot be erased. From our right. pop culture landscape, he had too big of an impact for too long. He shaped the history and the shape of American pop and uh, pop music and and pop culture. It's you can't just cancel his artistic con- uh, contributions because it has just it's already baked in. You know. Yes. Um. So, I think if you're at all curious or interested or want to be able to engage in that conversation, absolutely watch leaving neverland if if it's gonna traumatize you or trigger you stay the fuck away yeah um, yeah because yeah. it is yeah it's like i've said several times it is intense it i imagine for many people would be incredibly triggering um so know yourself but uh if if you aren't as concerned about that and you want to be in on the conversation and you know part of what hopefully will be a larger American cultural and worldwide cultural reevaluation of Michael Jackson and a lot of other things do seek it out. Oh man, that's an intense, intense conversation. I don't know the next time we're going to have one of these documentaries like this. Cause there've been a, there've been a bunch of them recently. And I'm all for people coming forward with their, with their stories and with their sharing their, their experiences. Um, it's hard to think, you know, like, Who's going to follow leaving Neverland? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's such, you know, it's just, I guess it's just really telling that there are so many stories that need to be told, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, and on that cheery note, <laughs> a few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can like our page and start up a conversation there over on Facebook. You can also uh, find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. We're also on Stitcher. You can leave ratings and reviews for us either place. We would love to hear from you. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at theteleverse and Noel, you are?
1: At Noel RK, thank you so much, Kate.
0: Thank you so much, Noel. And oh, you know what? I should also plug. I was over on Hall of Faces uh, recently talking about Battlestar Galactica and the best character from Battlestar Galactica. Do you have? Do you have a pick, Noel? Gata. Gata. See, I mentioned him, but my pick was, of course, Baltar.
1: Yeah, uh, no, Baltar's the correct answer, <laughs> but I don't want to be obvious, Kate. Well, Gata is
0: also a terrific character. Like, that yeah. that was the thing. Talking about Battlestar with those lovely people over at Hall of Faces, I was like, there's so many really great characters on this show. Like, this is a show where you could make a strong case for many of the characters. And we do, and that's the whole conversation. It's super fun. Y'all can go check that out. Um, but Yeah. Yeah. It 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 had me really wanting to do some rewatching uh and, and having some fun flashbacks to uh playing <laughs> playing drinking uh Battlestar Galactica the board game, <laughs> which is super oh, fun. Sure, sure, sure. Good times. Anyways, um so go check that out over at hall of, at uh thespool.net, I think, or dot com. The spool. Just Google it. And yeah, let let me know what you think, listeners, about these various shows that we're watching this week and, and what we should be keeping our eye on. Thank you again, Noel. I know I already said thank you, but we're gonna say it again. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.